Hello, babies. <laughs> How are y'all doing? Uh, I am very, very, very nervous. Devoted listeners will know that I have a memoir coming out on August 17th, and I am trying to remain focused on all the lovely good reviews and all the people supporting me. I don't want to worry about the worst case scenarios, which are often so outlandish as to be ridiculous. But, you know, that does not stop the negative intrusive thoughts sometimes. So when that happens, I pull out you know, all the tools and resources that I have. And I remember that there are people who are um, encouraging me and supporting me. And some of those people are you, dear listeners. My book is called Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be. And it is a memoir in essays. The title comes from my favorite Prince song, If I Was Your Girlfriend. And there is a whole chapter about him and why I love him. The book overall looks at the ways pop culture and being raised in the South as a Black girl has shaped me into me. Uh, I talk about a lot of different things like the fear of being labeled fast as a child just because I was a human being with sexual feelings. I talk about the significance of shows like A Different World, Frasier, and Bones in my life. I was really honored to see that an early reader's review said that my chapter on Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy had her rethinking their relationship, um, which means a lot to me. And overall, it's received good reviews so far. And I really want you to go out and buy it so you can pre-order it. You can order it from your local library. It would mean so much to me. Thank you in advance. All right. So the self-promo is over and we can get into the show. I am not fashionable. I admire people who can just, you know, reach in their closet and pull out outfits that will get anybody's eye. Like just, I don't understand how people put together stripes and polka dots and it looks amazing because if I did that, I would look like shit. I don't know how to do it. Whenever I try to be very trendy or try to follow like whatever's going on in the fashion world, I just look like a hanger. Like the clothes are wearing me. I'm not wearing the clothes. I don't have the attitude a lot of times. I think because I want to be, I want to be very comfortable in my clothing and not necessarily like attention-grabbing in my clothing all the time. I like looking good. I like looking presentable. I like looking nice. And, you know, sometimes I want to look sexy. And sometimes I do want to look very confident. But I also don't want people to look at my body. I don't know, because I feel like, you know, you look at the clothes, you look at the outfit, and then you look at their body, right, of the person that is wearing this stuff. And then you're like, oh, I could never wear that because my boobs are huge. Or I could never wear that because I don't have any boobs. Or I could never wear that because my ass is too big. You know, those kinds of things. Or... I could never wear that because they don't go beyond a size four. All that shit gets to me. And so I don't, I don't like fashion. So today's guest, Eleanor Kagan, she can do all of the stuff that I can't do. Like she is such a showstopper. I met her when she was a producer on Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. And she is now at Pineapple Street Studios working on podcasts like Julie, The Unwinding of a Miracle, which was a beautiful, beautiful limited series about a woman who knew she was dying and what she was doing to prepare for her death. And it's just incredible work. Eleanor has, not only does she have the technical expertise of being a producer and working in radio and audio, but she is such a good 
story crafter. You know, she knows how to make the story go. And I just, I love her work. Go listen to everything she's ever touched. So one of the first things that I noticed about Eleanor after her cool expertise and her incredible hair, because her hair is amazing, is her fashion sense. I have never seen someone mix patterns and colors like she does. And she she does that whole like color theory shit where you can like match colors from across the wheel and they look beautiful. But if like I wore it, I would just look like, I don't know, I rolled around in the dumpster behind a thrift store. She, oh, that sounds terrible to say, but I'm saying like she knows how to make everything look good. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, she rolls around in a dumpster. But it's just like... <laughs> I'm saying that about me, not her. <laughs> anyway, Eleanor needs her own fashion house because she just, she's just so good at all of that stuff. And when I saw that she had started sewing her own clothes and accessories, like little pouches and totes and things like that, I thought, of course, that makes perfect sense. And then when I started this show, I knew I had to get her on the other side of the podcast mic to ask her how she got started. How does she learn to sew? What does it mean to her? And like, can she help me find style? (laughs) Anyway, put on your most colorful caftan and listen to our very thoughtful and delightful conversation. This episode is sponsored by Dipsy. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. So let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. This episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Shopping for clothes can be daunting. You never know if things will fit, if the returns will be difficult, and you don't even know what store to start with. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you will love to wear. It was really easy to complete the profile of what I'm looking for and what I don't want. I'm actually wearing an outfit from my stylist right now, and it's super cute. I love it to pieces. The best part is there's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward the pieces that you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever, which is awesome. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash thisisgood, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash thisisgood for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash thisisgood. (laughs) 
I'm Eleanor Kagan. I am an audio maker by trade, but I like to spend a lot of my free time doing things that have nothing to do with staring at a screen or cutting tape. (laughs) I completely understand. (laughs) I first met you. It was around the time of Another Round podcast with Heaven and Tracy, and you were producing that. You were over the audio department there. And one thing that stood out to me about you was how colorful and fashionable you were. I was like, oh my gosh, she can dress. (laughs) She is incredible. Because I am not fashionable at all. I am very much, you know, I might wear some bright colors, but I don't do patterns. I'm very afraid of patterns. And for me, part of that is when people compliment your attire, then they're also looking at your body. And I'm just like, please don't look at my body. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, have you always been very fashionable or had a like a forward fashion sense even as a child? You know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately on some of my favorite childhood outfits. And I'm going <laughs> to my favorite childhood look in seventh or eighth grade was this like black long sleeve shirt with like rainbow stripes down the sides. And then I paired it with a pair of black like track pants that also had rainbows down the side and a pair of, uh, my mom wouldn't buy me Doc Martens. So they were a pair of like knockoff black Doc Martin boots, you know, big chunky boots. And I remember wearing that outfit to school and thinking I was like the hottest shit. And (laughs) my friends and the other kids all made fun of me. And they were like, I mean, I will unpack this in a moment, but they were like, oh, you look so gay. Why are you wearing rainbows? And like, I didn't know it then, but like, yeah, I was. I did look so gay because I was. <laughs> but um, also, I think that outfit is still amazing. And I sort of feel like I see outfits like that now as like a 90s throwback. And so I don't know. I think I always wore whatever I wanted that was colorful and fun and like made me happy, even when it was not necessarily received well. I don't know. I Getting dressed is definitely like my favorite thing to do. It just it brings me a lot of joy. It's how I express myself. Mm-hmm. One of the things you used to do, you did this project on Instagram with the Pantone colors where you would like go through this big Pantone book and like pick the... Um, I don't know, what is it called? Like a palette for the day. And then you would have this incredible bomb outfit each time. Thank you. For that. And then it kind of <laughs> caught on as other people started doing it because it was it was a really interesting challenge. How did you get started with that? And like, did you find that challenge someplace else and start doing it yourself? Or did you come up with a challenge? Um, I came up with it, kind of. I mean, so a old coworker slash friend had given me a present that was this book from the Pantone Color Company put out this book of like color palettes you're ideally supposed to use to like design rooms of your house. But she was like, you love color, you love combining colors, like here's a gift. And then I had always thought it would be fun to use it as like a guide to put together outfits that had all those colors. And so years later, I don't remember exactly what spawned it. I think I just was kind of bored and didn't have a lot going on in my life at the moment. And I, like, needed some kind of low-stakes project. So I just went through the book and each week picked a different palette. And I did them in order, too. So I kind of, like, was just, like, getting an assignment. Each palette had four colors. So I was like, I will find a way to represent these four colors in my outfits. I'll take a picture. I'll put it on Instagram. And if anyone wants to do it with me, 
that would be cool. And I don't know, I guess for me, I love clothes and I love putting together looks. And I also, I guess, kind of get bored easily and love variety. I'm a Gemini. Take that as you will. And so I I don't love to wear the same outfit twice. So And I like the feeling of newness. So it kind of allowed me to go shopping in my closet and put things together in ways that I hadn't thought of. And it was also like low stakes enough that I could kind of make up my own rules. But I, I just liked the fact that I got to look forward to it every week. And it became a way for me to think about how I present myself to the world and talk to other people about how they like to present themselves to the world because it's such a personal thing, you know? And I I think some people really love wearing lots of color. Some people only want to wear one color. You know, honestly, sometimes I will wear the most color on a day that I otherwise just want to disappear and not be looked at at all. Mm. There is something about wearing a really loud outfit that almost like takes the attention off of me and puts it onto what I'm wearing. So if I'm feeling awkward in my skin or I'm feeling like I have social anxiety, I can talk about, oh, yeah, these these earrings, this dress. And I don't necessarily have to be like, I'm feeling strange today. So I always found that I... My way of disappearing is is wearing something kind of ridiculous. Mm, that's really interesting. Hmm. I'm going to be thinking about that for a minute. <laughs> when was your first attempt at sewing? And what made you decide to start sewing your own clothes? Well, my very first attempt at sewing was in high school. And I still have this shirt. I started thrifting in high school. And I got this t-shirt with uh, the face of... Johann Sebastian Bach. I, I grew up playing <laughs> piano and, you know, was playing a lot of Bach at the time. And I wanted to turn it into this like low cut V-neck tank top. And I did it by borrowing my mom's sewing machine, which was this like incredibly heavy metal machine in a table that I think she had had since she was 16. I traced a shirt that I already had onto the t-shirt and sewed it. It's a yellow shirt. I used red thread. I had to add panels to the side because I cut it too small. None of it was even. I still have it today. I don't still wear it, but like this is making me feel like I definitely should bring it back into rotation. (laughs) I definitely want to see it. I'm going to wait for the Instagram post. The panel, I'm waiting to see the panel that you put in. (laughs) (laughs) I'll post it just for you. So That was like my, you know, my old, old experience. But I had really for a long time as an adult wanted to start making my own clothes because I just love the idea of being able to control what something looks like and how it fits you and making clothes that fit perfectly to your body and making your own design choices. You know, there's like a practical use of it where I'm like, if I can't find the perfect pants, then maybe I can make them myself. And then also kind of like, you know, I think in the same spirit as the Pantone challenge, getting to choose from like a cornucopia of stuff and putting them together in interesting ways and seeing if you like it. So I sewed my first garment maybe two years ago and have been trying to get better ever since, you know, making my way towards that perfect pair of pants, which I I think I'm still kind of far off on, but, you know, one day. Where are you finding patterns? Are you just continuing to do like you did before when you were in high school, just kind of tracing stuff that you already have? Are you, like, where are you getting your ideas from? I would say mostly Instagram. There is a robust sewing and quilting 
community on Instagram. And one thing I really like about it is that people will post pictures of what they make. They use hashtags based on what the pattern is. And then you can search the hashtag of that pattern and see all the ways that people have interpreted it, what fabrics they've used. And people are very generous with sharing, you know, here is the fabric that I used. Here are the modifications that I made. Here are my body measurements. So you can see if I have similar body measurements to you, you can see how these changes I made fit my body and maybe consider adapting them for your body. And it's a very encouraging community. So that is, that's where I've gotten a lot of inspiration. And I've, I've really mostly worked from patterns so far because that's kind of how I've learned. I've been a little afraid to, you know, trace my own. I don't know why. It seems silly now that I'm saying it out loud. I should just do that. (laughs) Have you ever sewed anything? Not at all. I prefer a v-neck t-shirt, I guess, because I'm like, I want to show my boobs. So Mm -hmm. I, and so many of the cute shirts that I see are scoop neck or like the quote unquote unisex collars that are just very like high up and uncomfortable for me. That's the one thing that I wish that I could learn. If I could learn how to turn those shirts into v-necks so my boobs could pop that's exactly what i would do that's that's my sewing goal i feel like nicole i feel like we can figure that out together i've also been making a lot of v-neck items lately i've like to tell myself that i'm in a phase of slutty sewing Mm. where (laughs) i just i also want my boobs right there and i don't have a lot of them so you know as little fabric as possible (laughs) but yes i feel like we can achieve this goal but i did Oh, gosh. In, like, seventh grade, maybe. I can't remember. It was junior high. Dirty Dancing was out. I'm telling my age. But Dirty Dancing was out. And babies' denim shorts that were cuffed. Oh, yes. I was like, oh, my gosh. Those are so cute. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I ruined a pair of jeans that were like (laughs) the wrong pair of jeans. You know, like I think they should have been more tapered or something, even in the like the thigh area. I don't I don't know. But I ruined a pair of jeans, cut them off, and then tried to sew the cuffs. And I used like black thread or something that was very obvious and it just looked ridiculous and I still wore them to school because I had ruined the jeans and I was like I still have to wear them somehow and I just remember sitting in the classroom looking at the terrible zigzag patterns (laughs) of where I had attempted to sew the cuffs in place and just being like this looks ridiculous and I never wore them again (laughs) (laughs) and that was the only time I've ever tried to sew anything I mean the thing that I that no one really told me when I started, but I know now, is that so much of sewing is failing. Mm. And I happen to be a perfectionist. And so I've like, I had to really get over that thing of where you like start a new hobby and you're like, I must be perfect and excellent at this from day one. Like it's, I really have had to just humble the fuck out of myself to realize that I am bad at this when I started out and that it is a skill that the more I practice, the better I get at it. And so I have failed so much in this hobby. You know, I have made clothes that end up, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to look so good on me, planning outfits around it. And then I put it on and it's way too small. And I have already cut out the pattern. So 
I have to like completely start over. You know, I have broken needles. I have used the wrong fabric to make garments and then they fit weird. I've cut a hole in the middle of my project. I have failed in every single way in this hobby. And like, I think that's one thing that I have really appreciated about it is people are like, yeah, that's just like part of doing it. You have a seam ripper for a reason. You know, you make something and then maybe you mess it up and then you take it all apart and then you start over again. Yeah. I mean, that's like with cross-stitching. Also, they have the seam ripper kind of tool. Um, I think it's probably the same thing. But yeah, like it's just, okay, I made a mistake counting here. I have to undo this whole row. One of the things I like about cross-stitching is how meditative it is, right? And so there is something also very soothing about destroying something that you have created in order to (laughs) improve it or just because you don't like it anymore. So I I like that aspect of it. When you're correcting a mistake or realizing you have to start over, do you ever feel kind of satisfied with starting over as well? Mm, That is a great question. I think my answer is no. (laughs) That's fine if it's no. (laughs) It's okay. No, Maybe I'm you... the weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that about you, though. I think that that's a wonderful perspective. No, I mean, the first, like, true failure that I had with sewing was with a tank top that I tried to make. And I've since tried to make two more times, and I failed at both of those, too. So I think maybe it's just not the pattern for me. But I, like, took maybe like two or three months off of sewing after I had this failure. And, you know, it wasn't huge. It was like, I cut it out too small, the fit was off, and I was like, ugh, I don't feel like figuring out how to make it fit. And so I just kind of didn't sew anything for a few months. And then I got back into it by like just doing a completely different project. And, you know, I guess maybe looking for like something that I knew I knew how to make. And I think the thing that got me back into sewing was just making like a little zipper pouch. And I was like, okay, this I can do. I can make this little zippery thing. And I did that. And then suddenly I felt better. And I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. What has been your favorite mistake? Ooh. Uh, hmm. So I found a children's quilt that was like originally from Pottery Barn. Like somebody didn't make it by hand for $2 at the thrift store, and it was reversible, blue on one side, yellow on the other, and I made a jacket out of it, and there is this one spot at the back of the collar where, like, the seam came together, and it just looked absolutely terrible, and it's because I, like, sort of didn't know what I was doing, and I was, like, making it up, and I made the collar out of these two separate pieces, and there was this just, like, big, ugly seam on the back of the neck, and so I just took another strip of the contrasting fabric and I made it look like a design choice and now when I wear that jacket it's my favorite part so your projects that you're doing are they all for yourself right now like have you done anything and then given them away to family and loved ones or are you just kind of like waiting until you get to a certain point before you start sharing I have made things for other people the first thing I learned to sew you know this time around was a tote bag and I started making tote bags for a bunch of my friends, like, as their birthdays were coming up. I love giving things that I've made as a gift because it takes, you know, it takes a lot of time. And handing someone something you've made with your hands is such an expression of of love. At the same time, I feel, like, very strongly that I will 
not be monetizing this hobby at all. And so some people have asked me to make things for them. And I, as nicely as I can, say no, because I just don't want to have that relationship with this. Mm. I want to make things for people because I feel motivated to and because it's a beautiful present and not because somebody asks me. Because I feel like then you start getting expectations and then I worry about messing it up. And I don't know. I sort of want to preserve this as a space for joy. Yeah. And, you know, the occasional frustration of, of failing at a project. Right. Yeah. I completely understand. There's a lot of pressure with monetizing and then pressure with someone saying, here, I've bought this pattern, make this for me. And then you don't want to have to deal with what if they don't like it? Yes. You know, or what if they're they're lying? And then next thing you know, you see this item that you have crafted with love in your heart in the thrift store or someplace else because they've given it away, you know, and they're just, they don't want to hurt your feelings or whatever. Like, I I imagine all these different scenarios. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I actually, so my partner's really into birding, which is like the other hobby that has like completely rubbed off on me. And it's also something I really like to do too. And so I got this bird fabric and I made myself a button down shirt covered in all these songbirds. And I love it. It's very it makes me so happy to wear it. And I was I asked my partner, I'm like, oh, do you want me to make you one too? And I really appreciated his honesty. He was like, you know, I don't know that I would actually wear a shirt that looks like that. So I wouldn't want you to spend all this time making this for me and then have me not wear it. And I was like, honestly, love that answer. What if I make you a tote bag? He was like, great. Love, love a bird tote bag. <laughs> so how has sewing and creating your own clothes and tote bags and whatever else, how has that affected you and how you navigate the world? Mm. I'm going to paraphrase a quote that I heard on a podcast episode from NPR's Life Kit that our good friend Meg Kramer made recently about how to get into sewing. She talked to this person, Leela, who runs a pattern company called Muna and Broad that makes patterns for folks of all sizes. And something she said recently on a podcast about sewing was something about how, you know, if you put on clothes and they don't fit right, it's not your body's fault. It's the clothes fault. And there is something about like transference of power when you are thinking about how you feel good in the world. And, you know, if you are a person who wants to put on an outfit and walk down the street and wearing the right outfit is going to make you feel good in that context and make you feel yourself. If you are a person who expresses themselves through clothes or through fashion, clothes can be so affirming of your gender, of your sexuality, of just who you want to be in the world. And there's something so lovely about the idea that you can control what that is and it doesn't have to be something that a store told you to buy or whatever our view of our own bodies are, it's not a number that a store tells us it is. We have so much power in the way that we present ourselves. And the thing about sewing is I like that it gives you a little bit of that power. Mm-hmm. How have the skills that you've learned sewing affected the other skills that you have in the rest of your life? 
I mean, I think that, okay, first of all, sewing is mostly math, which I was unprepared for. (laughs) But I guess the thing that it makes me think of is you look at a button-down shirt and you're like, how does this pile of fabric become this button-down shirt? And when you break it down to all of its steps, it becomes a process that just makes sense. And each thing builds on the next thing. And so I guess it makes me think that anything that feels really challenging or insurmountable can be broken down into that series of followable steps. And eventually the impossible, you know, the thing that feels like magic, which is that this pile of fabric that like maybe you found at a thrift store can become this amazing button-down shirt that fits you great, that you feel good in, that makes you feel like yourself. Mm. If you could say one to two sentences about what sewing has meant to you, become to you, what would that be? I guess to me, sewing has become a way to take what's inside my head, which in a lot of ways is just like aesthetic overload and transferring that into something I can hold in my hand and wear on my body. You know, I love lots of colors together. I love lots of patterns together. If you want to give it a word, I guess I have a maximalist aesthetic. There's so much that I think is beautiful. And the idea of being able to even a little bit take some of that beauty and turn it into something that someone, me or someone I love, could put on their body and feel feel like themselves in, that feels that feels really special and really lucky. I love that. I wish I could sew. I can't sew. I'm not even going to try, but I... I (laughs) (laughs) Where can listeners find you if they want to check out some of your projects or even just learn more about you? One thing that I did this year was I decided that I needed to start an entire Instagram account just for my sewing adventures. So you can follow me there at Bloomsday Makes. And my other Instagram, my normal Instagram account is... uh, at Bloomsday Report. I'm also Eleanor Kagan on Twitter, but I mostly tweet about Chippendales. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you so much, Nicole. And now it's time for The Indulgence, something I recommend that you can enjoy without shame because we do not do guilty pleasures around here. Today's indulgence, I got to be honest, it's kind of expensive. And by expensive, I mean it is more than $100, and it's something that you might need to save up for. But if you are in touch with your vanity, it is so worth it. I'm talking about microblading. Microblading is basically tattoos for your eyebrows. If you want to make them fuller or give them a more defined shape, or if you're tired of using eyebrow pencils and powders, this is the technique for you. You know, if you have alopecia or hair loss from chemotherapy or trichotillomania, this may be a more viable option if you want to regain the appearance of eyebrows. And I know I know there are so many more things to talk about right now to even think about than something like an elective cosmetic procedure. But listen, good eyebrows will change your whole face. 
I was terrible to my eyebrows in the late 90s and early 2000s. Just Google what we were doing to our eyebrows then. I mean, it was pencil thin is not even the proper word to describe it. It was just like laying a piece of thread across your forehead. I don't know why we were doing that shit. I overwaxed. I overthreaded. And I tried all the natural remedies to grow back the hair on my eyebrows. It didn't really work. I would use the pencils and eyebrows. But number one, I I can't draw anything. So I was always looking a little like lopsided, I think, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it just didn't work for me. I'm also a face toucher, or at least I was pre-COVID. Um, and I, you know, I lived in constant fear of wiping off one of my eyebrows or wiping off both of them because I'm touching my face or I got hot and sweaty and wiped makeup off. because so I did not want to go around with like one eyebrow or like 1.5 eyebrows on my face. So my book is coming out. That means more events, more people looking at me, more time that I need to, you know, focus on my face, making it look good. And I just did not want to have to worry about my eyebrows anymore. So I went to a salon that specializes in microblading and other brow services called Browstress. And the owner, Crystal, like, I think she is some kind of god because my eyebrows are amazing. They look so natural. I was really worried about them being, like, awful, but they look amazing. What I did, I followed her on Instagram. I was looking at her clientele. I was also Googling. I was all on YouTube trying to make sure that I could actually do the maintenance that's required um, once you get your eyebrows microbladed. I did all of that for months, like months. And that's what I would recommend to you. Like, go out, do the research you need, look up reviews, look at the clientele, Make sure this is a decision that you want to make. And the healing process can take about two weeks. There is like some flaking that happens and then your eyebrows kind of disappear and then they come back really beautiful. And, you know, if you don't want anybody to see you in that way, then, you know, look at your calendar and see if there's a two-week period where you can disappear for a little bit. If you've ever had a tattoo, the process, the healing process is the same because that's basically what it is. It's a tattooing process for your eyebrows. The results can last for like a year to two years, depending on your skin. You know, if you have very oily skin, if you have a very dry skin and your own regular skincare that you do. Obviously, you don't want to put retinol or other like bleaching products on your eyebrows because that defeats the purpose. But the thing is, I wake up in the morning and I have eyebrows. My eyebrows are bumping in the morning when I wake up. All right. And I do not have to worry about pencils and powders and like spraying on makeup setting spray to make sure the shit stays or anything like that. Like I wake up, my eyebrows are done. I save so much more time on my makeup routine. And, you know, I was really worried about like following a beauty trend and the stigma of cosmetic procedures and like doing something to my face. But, you know, I got it done and I love it. And I just highly recommend it. If this is something that you want done and you feel that it's safe for you and your bank account, do it. Just do beauty on your own terms. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. 
You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T N Whiskey with an E Woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, and Elizabeth. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?